Lord, thank you for the gift of music, for the talent of all those who put together, wrote, performed, prepared, and sang of your glory. We are in awe of you, Lord Jesus. So in the midst of a time of celebration, as we bring our minds and our wills ourselves under the authority of your word, In your mercy, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, on this Palm Sunday, we really come to a joining, a confluence of the closing phrase of the Lord's Prayer as taught us by the Lord Jesus. And this celebration of the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. So when we pray, thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, thine the glory, in an extraordinary way, what we have manifest to us in the coming of Jesus and entering into Jerusalem is his own representation of the kingdom, the power, and the glory on the move as he enters Jerusalem and in effect makes his way to the cross and subsequently to the empty tomb. There's a spectacular hymn, Ride On, Ride On in Majesty, in lowly pomp, ride on to die. So in the middle of the celebration and the peasant people who gathered from off the hills and around Jerusalem anticipating Passover camped out in families and tribes waiting for that great celebration The last three springtimes, Easter seasons, I've celebrated Passover with the Jewish community down in the club where I was the, the chaplain for those years. They still celebrate Passover. For us, every communion 
is a celebration of our Passover. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And when they celebrated Jesus coming in with all the hilarity, the children running, people throwing their coats down before the donkey on which Jesus rode, the waving of the palm branches presumably cut down for that expression of honor to Jesus. In lowly pomp, the King of Kings is riding on the back of a donkey into Jerusalem there to die to be an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world and he knew where he was headed and he accepted that acclaim And when you read in your service sheet, turn to it for a moment with me, page 6, the passage from First Chronicles, the Old Testament, where they have brought the wealth of the people to the city to build the temple. And David is overwhelmed with the offerings of the people. And he praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours, O Lord. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. And now, our, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. That God was riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And the acclaim by which they called out to him. I'm reading from Luke chapter 19. The crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, is what they shouted. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. You take the phrase, thine is the kingdom. A kingdom has a king. And the king was riding into Jerusalem. King Jesus. And here... Who knows what they understood themselves to be saying? Partly they were rehearsing, whether they understood it or not, the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9, 
which speaks about their king coming low and meek, riding on the back of a donkey, centuries before prophesied, and now fulfilled. The king to whom there is all honor, power, and glory, might, dominion, majesty, and may, whatever. Riding on the back of a donkey? The unbelievable humility of it all. And he knew who he was. So when the religious elites in Jerusalem come to him, again expressed right here in Luke chapter 19, and they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Do you know what Jesus said to them? I tell you, if they were to be quiet, the very stones would cry out. Jesus knew who he was. He was worthy of the title king. And his was the kingdom to which he had come on earth to establish. So when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus, Jesus was about that very mission. He was king. Within hours of his triumphal entry, he's in front of a Roman governor, and the governor says, are you a king? Because that was the accusation. And the accusation was made to manipulate that Roman governor because for Rome there was only one king and that was Caesar. And for anybody else to set themselves up as king was to invite instant death. And so the religious leadership again of that day said he said he's a king. So Caesar said, are you a king? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And in so saying, yes, he was a king and he had a kingdom. And when he rides into Jerusalem, the ruler, the king, is ushering in that kingdom. His reign in the hearts of men and women. Thine is the kingdom. Who's the king? If there's a kingdom, who's the king? And here they are, ordinary peasant folk, acclaiming him to be king. Listen to the words again so that you don't miss them. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're shouting that out to Jesus. And the religious leadership is so offended, they say, shut them up. And Jesus said, if they were quiet, the very stones would cry out. You realize the implication that even inanimate creation would acclaim him king. An extraordinary, extravagant statement 
which of course drove those leaders absolutely nuts. But that is who was riding on the donkey, the King of kings and Lord of lords, in stark humility. And the humility of Jesus is one of those marks by which his claim to be a king is actually exaggerated. Jesus made all kinds of extraordinary claims about himself. In fact, we're going to be studying those right after Easter. All the great I am statements. I am the bread of life. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the true vine. I am the light of the world. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Those are megalomanic statements. But what gives them credibility is that Jesus never, ever behaved like a megalomaniac. He wasn't a Joseph Stalin. He wasn't an Adolf Hitler. He wasn't some athlete who's just scored a touchdown beating his chest. I'm number one. He came clothed in humility. Radical, stark humility. He had nowhere to lay his head, he said. Even the foxes have their dens. The birds have their nests. The Son of Man, he himself, nowhere to lay his head. He had no home. He was born in a borrowed stable and buried in a borrowed grave. He had nothing but who he was, the king. It's staggering. The impact on that thought to me physically right now is so moving that this great one, the author of everything, from, ev from whom all grace and mercy and love and peace flow, is riding on the bank of a back of a donkey like the one you saw walk in here. Thy kingdom come. And the king came to establish his kingdom. Thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Vested in Christ was all power. They were proclaiming glad joy and praise because of all the miracles he had done. He had raised the dead. He had given sight to the blind. Can you imagine the money you could make off of having that ability today? Putting it on TV and asking for donations so that you could reach more people? 
could you imagine the kind of offering we could take up in this church if we could pull that off for you? What would you hold back? But Jesus was the power himself. The extraordinary statement. Again, these statements are so amazing. When we see them vested in this very, very humble presentation of himself. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ has spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, 24, says that Christ is the power. Christ himself is the power. So Paul, the author of that scripture, says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God because it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Well, why would he say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Because the very human presentation of Jesus was so humble so unpresupposing in style but in presence and in word overwhelmingly powerful when they came to take Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and he said who are you looking for and they said Jesus of Nazareth and he said to them I am he They fell to the ground. I wonder they went on with their arrest. They were blown away, not just by what would appear to be his willingness to hand himself over by saying, I am he, I, I'm the one you're looking for. But when he said, I am, he was speaking of the I am represented in God and it blew them away. Christ is the power. And the gospel of salvation in all its humility. Jesus Christ crucified as a criminal, helpless, his hands impaled, his feet nailed, his body stripped naked. And here he is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When the governor had nailed to the cross his claim, Jesus, King of the Jews, again, the religious leadership came and said, don't put that on the cross. Put he said he was. To which again the governor said, what I have written, I have written. King of the Jews but dying as our Savior. So the Lord himself comes to accomplish what we could never accomplish. All the power in all the world, over all the ages, money, wealth, education, giftedness and talent, physical power, intellectual power, mechanical power, 
psychological power, all of it put together could not rescue one human soul. But this Jesus was that power. Thine is the kingdom and thine is the power. There was a memorial service here yesterday afternoon. Dr. Mamoun Nazif, a man born in Syria, father of a member of our congregation, Diane Panizzi, and Suzanne Panizzi, was celebrated. He had died of a heart attack. Very prominent doctor. His students came from all over the USA to be at that ceremony. And the family wanted presented the gospel at any length. Their pastor from North Carolina came and preached. I offered at the end of the service, because I knew those words were taped, his sermon for anyone who would take one of those cards from the pew and write their name on it and give me their address that I would give to them that sermon. Thirty people asked for it. We're having 40 made. I want one of them. The preacher who stood up, a Baptist preacher from North Carolina, said he looked up the word homily to see what it was. Because in the service sheet it said homily. Put his name there. He said, I read that a homily was an eight-minute address. <laughs> he said, I'm not preaching any homily. And not only did he express his knowledge of the doctor because they had their retirement home down on Lake Norman, just outside Charlotte, but he expressed a knowledge of Dr. Nazif, which the more he said, as did those who gave testimony, made me want to be more and more like Dr. Nazif. I wanted to be like him. But the family also wanted not just the gospel presentation, but a call to commitment, which they asked me to do. So I stepped up right after the preacher and had them pray. And led them in a prayer of surrender to Jesus. And told them that on those same cards by which they could get the copy of that sermon, if they had prayed that prayer with me and knew that this was a serious moment in their lives by which they gave themselves to Christ to put a cross up in the top right-hand corner of the card. You should get a copy of the service. You might want to go this way. But the family knew that there would be scores of people
who didn't know Jesus coming to honor the doctor. And they didn't want this opportunity missed. And with tears, Suzanne said to me, if my dad's death brings one person to faith, it will be worth it. Ten people put a cross on that card and came and handed it to me in the commons. The gospel of God is the power of God. If everything that was presented and the opportunity to yield to Christ was experienced by those ten, the party in heaven maybe is still going on. Because there is great rejoicing in heaven over one who repents. But Jesus' death on the cross is the ultimate expression of power. Again, in this amazing humility. Power expressed in humility. It's a complete contradiction. It turns the world upside down. We know nothing of that kind of power outside of Christ. Because him, he himself was the power. He didn't need all the accoutrements of power. Thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine the glory. Glory is more than just regality. That is, being regal. Looking like a king. It is more than just glitz. Glory, at its root, is an expression of the significance, the weightiness, the substance, therefore, how substantial that person is. Jesus was a heavyweight. He was not a lightweight. He came parading, it would appear, as a lightweight. The Roman governor said, do you not know that I have power to give you life or death? To which Jesus said, you would have no power at all unless it were given to you from above. Jesus was absolutely the substantial presence of the living God in human form. We had that little taste of the hallelujah chorus. King of kings, Lord of lords, forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That's about Jesus. And coming together, as I spoke of a confluence, of course that word is very popular in Pittsburgh because of the Monongahela, a word my wife cannot say, and the Allegheny, and the Ohio. Two rivers coming to make one. 
that Jesus coming into Jerusalem to die on the cross and offer his life up to the Father as an atoning, sacrificial death for all the wickedness and filth of this world, that the guilt and the judgment that guilt deserves all assuaged, taken on by Jesus in one moment of time. Do you realize how substantial he is that he can take that on and get that done in his death alone? He, Jesus, is the glory. The glory of the Father. You remember his prayer at the Last Supper? Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son with the glory he had with you before the world began. Take all this and demonstrate it to this world as absolutely the substantial presence and power that is yours. In a simple phrase, Jesus was who he said he was and accomplished what he came to do. And if Jesus was not who he said he was, then he could never have accomplished what he said he came to do. Who he was and the salvation he wrought were absolutely bonded together. His is the kingdom. His is the power. His is the glory. Let's bow our heads and pray together. We're going to pray that prayer in just a minute, that Lord's Prayer with that final conclusion. Oh, that I wish you had the courage to boldly, boldly, loudly say at the close of the prayer, in unison, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that triumphal entry by which so much was revealed of yourself. Every step of movement of divine revelation all the way to the cross and then the empty tomb. By the power of your Spirit moving amongst us, Draw back from our eyes the shades that close out our knowledge of that truth. Please, Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, 
And then please, O Lord, give us lips that we might tell. Let us pray together. You pray at the cadence, the speed by which I lead you. So together we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here you go. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah.